Hey guys, welcome to the self-evident podcast. You have Mike here. It is Saturday, 9 a.m. Unfortunately, I do not have my partner in crime, Massey. He is out at a uh, rehearsal for Easter Sunday. He is playing in the worship band. So if you are actually in the Treasure Coast area and you are wondering, you know, I need a church to go to. I, and this isn't a pitch. This is just a, uh, this is for you. Um, Revive Church, Stewart, Florida. You really need to come out. Um, it's going to be one heck of a Easter service. And uh, Massey and I are both pastors. And, and Easter is one of those things that reminds you of the light of Christ. Everything falls flat in the Christian faith. If Christ doesn't rise, but the fact that Christ rose proves to you that everything he said before that is true. And I, I had a thought when I was writing this whole podcast is like, man, do I go into this completely of like all of the evidence that proves that Christ actually rose. And I tossed and it was like, man, what I think is very important as well as what we're going to cover today and I figure, go on Sunday, wherever your church is, and get that Easter uh, download, that refreshment of Easter. And what we're going to talk about today is a sense of, of rebirth, a sense of new life. We're going to discuss the darkness first, because guess what? There was darkness before the resurrection. The total darkness, total, you look at the apostle. Okay. That's it. I'm going on it for a couple of minutes. You look at the apostles before the resurrection, the apostles were scattered. They were oppressed. They were giving up. They were going, well, that's fine. They even returned to their old jobs. If you notice the ones who were fishermen went back to going fishing. They were not out proselytizing. They were not out being disciples, apostles. They were out fishing. If you had been part of a movement that for, what, three years, you were active completely. You were out there in all things. You were doing it. You were fully committed. And then all of a sudden, your leader gets arrested and executed in front of you. And there's no resolution. There's no beauty to it. It's just, oh, he's gone. I thought he was the, the new leader of Israel. I thought he was the king. I thought he was going to bring in, usher in the new kingdom of Israel. What would you do if all that fell flat? If your leader was done with? You'd probably go and slink back to your old job and hope nobody noticed. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah there's something part of my past, you know. But then Resurrection Sunday comes. Christ rises. Everything they paid for, all the sacrifice, the scorn, the issues, the problems, the, the, the mocking and ridicule, all of it was worth it. And you have 12 men who were all willing to die on the information and testimony that they had. And you talk to seasoned lawyers and say, okay, I want to give you just a scenario. You have 12 men who are put on trial with most likely outcome execution. And they have to defend a lie. How many of those men will actually go to execution for that lie? And all of those lawyers will tell you they won't do it. They will recant. How many people will recant on the truth in order to save their own skin? Yet you have a 100% outcome. 100%. Nobody recants. All 12 go, no, nah, you can kill me. Because I, I saw what I saw. I know what I know. I have testimony to what I have testimony Go ahead, off me. I don't care. That just gets into a sliver of, of the taste 
of the truth of the resurrection. And the beauty of the resurrection is it is a promise to you of everything God can do. And I, I, I'm preaching here because you need to know God can transform you. And the resurrection is proof that God has power and authority over even death itself. Death is the ultimate for us. If you notice, people who are not believers, the biggest fear is death. That's why COVID was such a problem, was death. Death was the ultimate problem of COVID because everybody said, we have to save people from dying. If you accept Christ and you're walking in Christ, all of a sudden death is just a minor footnote. It, well, yeah, that's one more step, but that's okay. I'll keep going. And so I, I say this to you because there's such transformational release when you accept Christ and walk with Christ. Because all of a sudden you're free to do what you've been asked to do and death is not the concern or worry. But if you don't have Christ... Death is the biggest worry you have because you have no clue, no assurance, no understanding, no safety. And you have to figure out what you're going to do in this short time span. Honestly, if I weren't a Christian, I would be a complete nihilist. That would be easier. No, whatever. No consequence, no issue. Just do whatever I want to do because, man, I'm going to die and I don't know what's going to happen. So I'll just you know, get the most out of this short little span. There's no meaning. And so I urge you, seek Christ. Die to yourself. And live in more abundance than you've ever thought possible. And I want all of you, when you go out for Easter Sunday... Celebrate like there's never been a celebration before or ever will be. Because this is a celebration of the truth come to fruition. All of the promises upheld and made valid by God. And so that's my preaching for today. I hope you guys don't mind. I actually don't have my laptop up and I should. So if you give me a second, I'm going to bring my laptop up. I'll uh, have Facebook. Make sure to make your Facebook comments. Make sure to let us know where you're at. Give us a, uh, uh, what's your favorite part about Easter? There's a good question. This is a question for activation, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're at. Tell us, what is your favorite part about Easter? I don't even care if you say chocolate eggs. That's fine. I think there's something better, but hey, I love chocolate peanut butter eggs. Croft, what's your favorite Easter candy? What do you think, bro? All right, so Croft says Cadbury cream eggs. Um, do you guys remember the commercials for that? The the lion and the, the bunny, and uh, I'm dating myself. All of those who are my age and older will remember, oh, yeah, Cadbury egg commercials. You know, uh, all of you younger, like Croft, you're going to say you're crazy. What are you talking about? That's okay. I really don't mind. Okay, so as I bring up Facebook, guys, <laughs> oh how do we do this croft how do we do this are we ready so today today is going to be quite a uh quite a uh episode i kind of wish massey was here for this one but that's okay um croft i am not seeing any comments in the facebook are you dang dude it's because massey's not here that's why all right, so let's get going. So let's go to slide number one. I want you to read that very carefully. This says, police say five fetuses found in a D.C. home where anti-abortion activists is believed to live. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer on this. This is a heavy, divisive topic, but I want you to know something. If you've had an abortion, I have no beef with you. I have no issue with you. All of us make mistakes. All of us stumble. All of us are pressed in life. All of us have our shortcomings. And my heart goes out to you. Now, if you've healed through this, 
Praise God. Use your testimony. If you need a platform, let us know. I, I love giving testimony to what, how the Lord has healed people after major problems or issues. Now, nothing I say here should be taken as a condemnation to you. And I want you to know that and remember that. Nothing I say here is a condemnation to those who have actually made that choice. You want to know where my problem is? My problem is those with those who promote it, who say it's, it's good for you, it's a choice. The, the, the people who say we need to codify this in law because this is a moral right to protect the rights of women, those are the people who I have issue with. And if this is going to bring up old wounds, because guess what? We are talking about abortion through this whole podcast. If it's going to bring up old wounds, I want you to pray about it. I want you to seek the Lord on it. And I mean that, I'm not just saying that. And if, if you decide this is something you can't handle right now, I totally understand. But I, I do want you to try and stick through because there is catharsis in this. There's understanding that there is an overcoming and a testimony to the issue. Now, Croft, can you pull up slide one once more? I want you to look closely at this title. Do you notice anything? Who are they subtly trying to point the finger at? Who are they causing to be the center of the issue? The anti-abortion activist who we're going to refer to as a pro-lifer, life warrior, or saint, okay? She's Catholic, but I use that in the original Christian context of a believer and follower of Jesus. They were known as the saints. Catholic Church turned the term saint into more of a higher title, right? Um, this is the danger of messaging. Learn this. Titles themselves can completely misdirect you. If you read only this, you get the idea that a pro-lifer is somehow involved in the deaths of these babies or some type of misconduct has happened. Now, what's rich is they're making it seem as though the police found the fetuses. Notice they do not use that term babies. Something shady about where the person even lives. They're believed to live there. The police found these fetuses. So what's that real story? You want to know the real story? On March 25th, it is claimed that a driver of a medical waste disposal truck gave a box to pro-life activists outside an abortion clinic containing the remains of 115 aborted babies. Now, this medical waste company, Curtis Bay Medical Waste Services, uses medical waste as fuel for incineration to create electricity. Man, I really wonder about the environmental impact of that. Like... I'll, I'll, I'll let the environmentalists, the Green Party, deal with that one. But I kind of have questions. Um, they have denied using abortal fetal tissue in their process or aborted baby tissue, as I would say, and that their policy does not allow for the disposal of these remains. They will, of course, deny, A, because it would look horrible for them, burning babies for electricity, sending babies through the fire for our own needs it, that calls back to a concept of Molech, right? Uh, B, if their policy states it, all of a sudden they can be held accountable if they're not going by their own policy or regulations and they're allowing this to happen. This is a, a, <laughs> a news media nightmare for them. So they have to handle this. This is public relations issue problem. So what they're doing is they're saying, oh, no, 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 we, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. But if they're not checking, it's against the regulations. But hey, we're not checking. We'll do whatever you need to do. Um, there's an issue. So now, 110 of the remains seem to have been aborted in the first trimester, aligning with D.C. and federal law. But five of them, and this was a big news item that we want to cover, five of them have been aborted in violation of, allegedly, I should say, in violation of federal laws, and allegedly have come from Washington Surgery Clinic, where Dr. Cesar Santagello is in charge. 
Now, this guy's been recorded as saying that he would allow a child who survives an abortion to die if it was born during the procedure, which we have laws against. And we'll get to that later. This whole concept of, yeah, well, uh, if it survives, then we should discuss whether or not to let it die. How much insanity is on that? Uh, I'm saving it. I'm saving it. <laughs> so stay focused. Thank you, Crow. All five appear to be late-term gestation. I've seen these pictures, and you can find them. Um, they, they, they're real pictures, man. They're grotesque. Um. One of them, and and this is what I'll tell you, is one of the pictures, the eye is open of one of the babies. And you see a look that haunts you, dude. This is something that if you... If you see it, you start to really question how people can argue. And I can understand the tri the the first trimester argument. I can understand that. I don't agree with it. I think it's still ludicrous, but you can make an argument because you can't see. It's so early in the development. These were babies, man. And I, I look at my youngest son and I cannot fathom how anybody could want to do that to a child. Um, so the five were handed to the D.C. police homicide unit to collect and examine them. So the, the pro-lifers handed over these remains saying, you need to investigate this. Uh, the medical examiner has no plans to autopsy the remains. And Republicans in Congress have been writing letters as well as activist groups to the D.C. police, Attorney General Merrick Garland, because it's federal, um, and the mayor for investigations. Instead, the one who broke it, Lauren Handy, is now being investigated for how she obtained them. This is more important to investigate the person who breaks the story than it is to investigate how the heck it happened. And of course, when you look at the newspaper articles, you know what you get? You get a whole lot of talk about an event where she allegedly forced her way into a clinic and blockaded the door. I don't know if she did this or not, but this is the bigger issue for several sites. <clears throat> NBC, CNN. MSNBC, because they care more about, oh, did, did she enter an abortion clinic than she found remains of fully formed babies that violate federal law, which, again, I'm getting into that later. We're going to discuss, and I know this is a heavy topic, so stick with me because there is good news, and we're going to turn back to the idea of life. But you've got to know what's going on here. If I can give any exposure to this, even if it's three, four people, I don't care because at least I'm giving exposure to somebody. We have to know this. We have to understand what's going on. But you also have to know that we're, we are winning this fight. The younger generations are increasingly becoming more pro-life. Why? Because the argument does not make sense of, well, you can end in life by your convenience. Now, let's go to slide two. And if this is a, a shorter podcast, that's okay. Slide two, a Maryland bill allows killing babies up to 28 days later. And the article that I showed you is uh, NBC, WSA9, who argued, no, no, that's misleading. That's misleading. Notice the title. No, Maryland bill would not allow newborns to be killed. Guess what? They do a little sleight of hand, and I'm going to show you another example of why it is so important to vet the media that you're paying attention to and not just read the headline. 
Because if you look into the argument that this news site gives, the argument is extremely weak and thin. And we're going to point that out. And, and yeah, Croft, Croft points out, look, that subheading itself says, look, it's unlikely to become law. And, and I make that point in the podcast map of their main argument is, well, it's probably not going to become law anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, so principle out the window because the ends justify the means, I guess. All right. So in response to a Texas bill, which we'll discuss this bill later, allowing people to be sued for the process of abortion as well as giving rewards, uh, Maryland and other states have been writing bills in response to try and protect and codify abortion. Notice what your state is doing. Pay attention. And we'll talk about states individually, but pay attention to what your state is doing and make sure that your leaders are the ones who are doing what's right. This is why local government is so important. We, we got people telling us all the time years ago, uh, local government doesn't matter. It's all about federal. Now notice the local movement. Beauty, ain't it? It's beautiful. Something finally changes. So a provision in the bill originally stated this section may not be construed to authorize. And I'm going to read it twice. Listen very carefully. This section may not be construed to authorize any form of investigation or penalty for a person experiencing perinatal death related to a failure to act. Now, the argument that's going around on the internet is the definition of perinatal being up to 28 days. Now, this provision would have pro prohibited charges if the baby was left to die. So let's say the baby is left to die. This provision would prohibit any charges or investigation from happening. Now, NBC, WSA 9, has argued that the complaint people have is misleading. You guys are crazy. You're reading into this the way you shouldn't be. Now, why? Well, they amended that. They changed that. So it doesn't matter now. That's your argument? Is well, they amended it, so y'all are being misleading. Okay, well, let's go back a month. Were we accurate? I think we were fairly accurate. So were we misleading, or did things change? Pay attention to what your news sources are saying. And, and to paraphrase or summarize what their article was saying, and I want you to go to the original article. All you have to do is Google it. You look at the link. Um, we can put the links in the description later. They're, they're like, okay, uh, well, they amended it. And a doctor we interviewed, Dr. Rajan, now he says in a quote, or the article says, reads this to cover situations in which a newborn needs intense or long-term medical intervention in order to survive. And after deliberation with medical professionals, the family decides not to pursue it. A, sick on its own right. But B, that's nowhere in there. This provision is so vague. So you can't tell me, well, it intends this. How is it actually going to be used? That's the question that you always have to have about your bills that are being passed through your state legislature or your Congress is how is it actually going to be used? Now, this argument also surrounds the idea of perinatal, which this has varying definitions. And Dr. Rajan points that out. He even uh, acknowledges, look, it could be after pregnancy, it could be seven days. Some definitions, which Dr. Rajan even admits, could be up to 28 days. So now, let's put this all together. This original provision had, if you allow a baby to die, up to 28 days, because the word perinatal has different definitions, which is not defined in the bill itself, you could have a baby who's 27 days old, left to die, and there's prohibition against charges. These people were not being wild with the provisions in the bill. They were pointing out the accuracy of the vagueness of the bill. Now, WUSA comes back and says, yeah, but, uh, okay, the intent is to protect women who have had an abortion, right? 
So what? And and guess what happened? Um, an amendment was written that states experiencing perinatal death related to an act or omission during the pregnancy. This is codifying partial birth abortion or leaving the baby to die. Now, this is where I'm going to stop for a second. And this is where I'm going to go off on a tangent. Need a sip of coffee for this one. Why are we arguing about when it's okay to allow a baby to die? We have been able to sustain a baby at 20 weeks. But we're not even having the 20-week argument in this point. Now, we are with the states, and I'll get to that point. The argument we are having at the moment is, well, if the mom is in labor, how far out does the baby have to be before we're not allowed to kill it? If you looked in to what a partial birth abortion is, and I'm not going to get graphic because I know we have younger listeners, but if you look into what a partial abortion is, partial birth abortion, we are having an argument about whether, well, if this far of the baby's out, it's okay. If, if the baby's all the way out, is that okay? I mean, can we allow the baby to die? If, if we set it on a table and, and we don't give it warmth and we don't give it food, if we just let it sit there for enough hours, it'll die. Is that okay? That's the argument we're having right now. And you guys remember the governor from Virginia trying to argue, well, we would set it and make it comfortable, and then we'd have a discussion about what to do. You're making it comfortable. That's execution at that point. We do the same thing for people on death row. Well, we make them comfortable. We give them a last meal. We, we determine what, how we're going to do it. We give them their last rights, and then we execute them. Is this not ludicrous? Like the fact we're having this argument at this point, we as Republicans, as conservatives, as Christians should be saying, no, 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 no. The argument is never at that point because at that point, you're just sick and sadistic. You're determining how much you should torture somebody before they die. That's your argument. Well, should it be a bullet or should it be hanging? Should it be uh, electrocution or should it be a lethal injection? That's your argument. And New York, if you guys don't remember this, New York passes a bill of up-to-birth abortion, and they light up a skyscraper in celebration of the idea. You can call me a right-wing crazy extremist if you want to, but this just absolutely loads me with energy, passion, and wrath. Because we are now having the discussion on when it's okay to kill somebody who has done nothing. They're the, the epitome of innocence is a newborn. The epitome of innocence. Through absolutely no choice of their own. They were created. And Croft brought up before we started talking this idea of people, people will come and argue, yeah, well, you know, if we would care about adoption, we wouldn't have to worry about abortion. Put the funding into adoption that you put into abortion. Start actually supporting it with the passion that you have for abortion. My wife and I are trying to adopt right now. Okay, we haven't gotten a phone call. We haven't gotten somebody contacting us saying, hey, this baby's up for adoption. You want to know why? Because what we do is we build a profile and we put the profile out there like a dating profile. And then we hope that some mother picks us. There are families who go years without ever having the opportunity to adopt. Families who have never had the beauty of having their own child. We've been blessed to have two. 
But some of these families can't. And while you mill them in and out by the hundreds of thousands to make sure you can, you can end the life of a child, you point the finger at the conservatives and you say, yeah, well, if you guys cared more about adoption, I would argue, let's have every single one of those abortion babies kept in life and brought to adoption. I would rather have the problem of, can we find enough homes for each of these babies than the problem of, well, how many bodies can we incinerate? And, and I was having this discussion a long time ago with a friend who is pro-choice. And her argument was, yeah, but what happens if their opportunity, uh, they, they have a rough life? And my argument was, what if they become the next great? How can you make that argument that they might have a rough life, so let's just not even try? What can God do in the life of a child that isn't wanted, but finds the Lord? The testimony is amazing. And Micah, you're right. We must protect the unborn. If we turn our heads, then we are just as guilty of murder. Absolutely right. Our passivity is an acknowledgement and a permission of it. So, WSA 9 further argues that, well, the whole thing's misleading because the bill probably won't even pass anyways. What a great argument. Eh, don't even worry about it. It's probably not going to pass anyways. So don't be concerned. Yeah, but you tried. You tried. Try, try, try again. And that's that's something that the progressives will always do. They will try again over and over and over until they get somewhere. And you as conservatives need to try, try, try again. I was thinking about this before this podcast started. We have to get it through our head that we we don't care what they think anymore. You have to not care what they think anymore. And you have to go for what you know is right. They will weep and gnash their teeth. They will. They're doing it. This article proves it. They will weep and gnash their teeth. And the next article that I come up with does just that because the states are starting to pass restrictions on abortion. And the Supreme Court is about to rule at some point on Dodd versus Jackson. And so people are very concerned about it. They just, oh, they can't change it. Let them weep and gnash their teeth. Go for what you know is right. If you're sitting at a school board meeting, let them weep and gnash their teeth. Go for what you know is right. Your righteousness does not matter with the opinions of men. Fear not men who can kill the body but do nothing more. Instead, fear the one who can not only destroy the body but send you to hell. And this isn't a fire and brimstone message. This is a, when you fear the Lord, it is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord means you don't have to fear men. And when we use this word fear, it's trembling before, it's respect of the power and authority that is carried before you. And if you don't fear men, you go for what you know is right. And this gets back to that discussion of the 12 apostles who did not fear men, even unto death, but they feared the Lord. They wanted to please the Lord. They went forward for him. And so I'm encouraging you, who cares what they say? Go for it. Go for what you know is right. Let them weep and gnash their teeth. How much we should celebrate if we are able to finally pass a law that outlaws abortion. If you want to have the whole legislate morality argument, we can have that because guess what? You're infringing on somebody else's rights. And uh, uh, Paul, I, I will say to his credit, um, 
one of one of our friends, a a listener, works with me. Actually, I share a cubicle with him. He he breaks down law that law should cover three things: stealing, assault, and murder. And pretty much all legislation could be encompassed in that. And actually, if you get into the argument, it's a, it's a pretty pretty fairly good argument that he has. But that's beside the point. So let's go to the good news. Let's do slide three. Croft, you ready for slide three? Let's do it. So there is good news. Now, I got this actually from thecut.com, which they are not happy about it. And I'm going to point this out. They've done their research for me. And this is a hint for you. If you're looking for how do I do more research, you need to find something. Don't be afraid to go to opposing sources. Why? Because they'll tell you what they're proud of in a bill. If a bill you're like, I don't know about this, like the, the massive infrastructure bills, they will tell you what they're proud of. And a lot of times what they're proud of is something that you're going, no, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. Why are we doing this? They'll also complain about what you're doing. And they can be very thorough about their complaints about what you're doing. And so it's good to get both sources of what's going on. Now, we're going to end this on good news because guess what? Resurrection Sunday is the good news conclusion of a heavy weekend. And so we're going to end this with good news of what's going on and why people are defending life. So do not forget that this is incremental and we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And Massey and I have had discussions, debates about this of like, do we celebrate the incremental? Do we, do we, do we continue uh, uh, uplifting this or do we point not good enough, not good enough? Um, and I'm not trying to uh, uh, minimize the conversation because you must keep your eyes on the prize. The prize, outlawing it entirely. However, we can celebrate that the winds of society are changing. The culture is changing. So this article states, 19 states in 2021 passed 106 restrictions. And recently, we've had several states that are passing stuff ready for the Supreme Court decision on Dodd versus Jackson, which if, or Dobbs versus Jackson, sorry, which, if you remember correctly, is a Mississippi law restricting abortions after 15 weeks. Now, they're arguing this is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is not law. Roe v. Wade is a decision. And it was made up out of whole cloth, right? Or, or imaginary cloth. Roe v. Wade is not law. It is not law. It is a legal decision. And all it takes in our system now is another legal ruling by the Supreme Court to overturn it to change the precedent. So in Florida, DeSantis recently signed into law a prohibition on abortion after 15 weeks. Previously, Florida had prohibited after 24 weeks. We're down to the 15-week mark, which is before the, the point of viability as we've been able to prove. That's good because once we get into that territory of, well, we're doing it before, quote-unquote, viability, now we can have that argument of, well, if 15, why not 13? If 13, why not 7? If 7, why not 2, right? So we need this because all of a sudden it builds the case for us that we can make that argument at any point before viability. Beautiful. Let's do it, right? Florida signed that into law. Now, Texas passed a six-week ban and gives a $10,000 reward to anyone who reports aiding and abetting the abortion. Now, 12 states, 12, have six-week bans waiting for the Dobbs ruling. Waiting for that ruling. Once that ruling happens, if the Supreme Court goes in the favor of overturning Roe v. Wade, however you want to describe this process, 12 states will have those six-week bans kick in, which is awesome. Other states are passing 15-week bans. So you have Louisiana had a 15-week ban passed in 2018 that tied to the Dobbs case. You have Kentucky. April 13th, the legislature overrode a veto by Governor Andy Bichar 
Kentucky, notice that. Notice what your governor did and be sure that you change that. Kentucky overrode the veto to enact an omnibus ban that outlaws abortions after 15 weeks. This also forces a bunch of requirements. Now, yeah, okay, that works. But for me, total. Why do all the provisions if we can just go total? But I understand they're going incremental. Let me read some of these. And and I think this speaks more to the principle of the issue. All remains must be cremated. Birth death certificates must be issued for each abortion. I say, hey, all of a sudden you have you have recognized that that was a life. A birth and death certificate. Providers must report each abortion to the state with the medical records of the patients, including STI histories, which if this is a medical procedure, Right. We're, we're going to argue this is a medical procedure for the woman. It doesn't matter about the child. Well, why are we not having medical histories uh, uh, recorded and used by the medical industry? We should up our game on this. Let's up our standards. If this is a completely legitimate medical procedure, then why aren't our standards super high? Why does your argument go in and out anonymously? This Kentucky bill will also grant uh, uh, saying granting abortions to minors without consent will be a felony. Good. Because now you're acting on somebody else's child without the consent of the parents. To me, that's sexual assault. That's rape. We could have that argument. To me, that's sexual assault of a minor. That's pedophilia. Oh, you're being extreme. I'm sorry. You are now. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> I'll leave that one be. You you know where I'm going. Another requirement: doctors looking to offer medication abortion services will need to register themselves. Well, they have to be licensed and registered as a doctor, anyways. So why not register? to uh, offer medication and abortion services and providers will need hospital admitting privileges. Now, the conclusion of all of this is you shouldn't even have to have any of that because it should just be outright banned. But if we're going to make it as hard as possible, hey, props to you. Idaho, six-week ban based on Texas bill. Now, while Texas gives rewards to private citizens, Idaho only allows family members, which at least then the father has a say in this whole thing. The father finally has a recourse. You go after the father for uh, for money, for financial support, but the father doesn't have say in that process, which was proven in Texas recently. The father did not want his child aborted. The mom did a... a tried to do a self-induced abortion, ended up in the hospital. The child died. The mom will not face criminal charges, and the father is left without a child. I'll let that one sink in. Arizona, 15-week ban, except for life-threatening pregnancies that may result in substantial and irreversible impairment of a patient's major bodily function. If anybody ever brings up the threatening the life of the mother or cases of rape and incest, here's how you respond to that. Okay, so that's what you're concerned about. So will you agree we can ban all voluntary abortions because you're only concerned about coercion, force, um, uh, uh, danger? And then we'll have that discussion in that arena. Very few people will say, yeah, okay, I'll agree to those terms on this debate. They'll hem and haw, they'll avoid because they don't actually care about the whole rape, incest, uh, danger of the mother topic. That's just what they can browbeat you with. And so if they try to use that argument, say to them, well, first, can we outlaw voluntary? And then we'll talk about danger force. Just a little hint on that. Wyoming passed a trigger ban, full ban, based on overturning Roe. Oklahoma banned all abortions if Roe is overturned. It would go into effect in August. Providers could face 10 years in prison. Oklahoma is also considering a Texas-style ban. We have states that are standing up. And so that's the good news, is I want you to understand that states are standing up. 
States are changing how they're doing this. You're not necessarily losing the culture war. You have to make your voice heard on this. You have to stand up vehemently for what you believe in. They've been doing it for years. We've been coasting. We've been on our autopilot. It's beautiful that now finally we are seeing states encouraged into standing for what we believe in. Stand for those principles. Don't allow anybody to cast you off the wrong direction. This should be encouraging. Now, the other end of the encouragement, I'm going to sandwich this and then we'll end it. It's Easter Sunday. It is a celebration of life. Let's celebrate life. And I don't mean in the let's replace a funeral idea. This is a true celebration of life. Christ rose to prove and seal the promise of everything God said before the crucifixion. The resurrection proves the salvation power of Christ. You cannot find an empty, or sorry, you cannot find a tomb for Christ. It's empty. And we could go into this, the, the evidence of all of it. We can go into the depths of it. Um, I gave you a little bit at the beginning of this. But I want you to, this weekend, as we talk about this whole abortion topic, because this is big right now in the news, and, and it's gearing up for that Supreme Court issue, the Supreme Court ruling. So, of course, the left and news media sources are trying to curry favor and energy um, beforehand. I want you to think about the fact that Christ died and rose for all of you. The death is necessary, but so is the rising. Without the rising, it's just a martyr. With the rising, it's God. And he rose for you to bring you new life, to bring you abundant life, to bring the kingdom of God to earth, which means you don't just sit at salvation. And, and I, I've discussed this with people is like, yeah, salvation is the first step. But salvation is only the first step. The true step is moving from salvation into the kingdom of God and being able to walk with full power and authority that Christ has given you, who died and rose to hand you that authority. He didn't just die and rose so that way he could look at you and say, huh, saved you. It was to hand you full power and authority to walk out the will of God. And when you walk out that will of God, when you carry the cross, as Christ says every day, die to yourself and carry the cross. When you do that, and when you walk as a full servant of God, the power that he can walk through you is absolutely outstanding. And I pray that when you get to the end of your days and you look back, that you get to see the effects you had on so many people for the kingdom of God. I moment of vulnerability. Um, there was somebody that I worked with who ended up with stomach cancer and he didn't, didn't really speak English. And I got to pray with him one time. Um, and I don't remember if it was before or after, but I had a dream of him in a white robe and me getting to hug him. And just this, this joyous elational moment. And what was funny, it was one of my coworkers, probably about a month later, two months later, said his uncle, who knew the guy, had a dream about getting to see him in heaven in a white robe and getting to hug him. The effect you have for the kingdom, you'll get glimpses, but you have no idea to the depths that you can have an effect for the kingdom. And the joy and elation on that day when you enter into God's rest.
will take your breath away. And I encourage you, if there is something holding you back from walking deeper in the world as an emissary of God, leave it behind. Get healing from the Lord. If you've had sin or bad choices or mistakes or something weighing you down in your life, clean it up with the Lord. He is good to forgive and walk forward with him. And I, Man, I wish I could say this to the whole world. And who knows? Maybe it gets to the whole world somehow. But God's got, got so much more that he can do with you than you could ever imagine possible. And it's, it's the quiet people who walk out humbly, who the Lord will use in cool, interesting, completely unthought of ways. And they will get to the end of their days and they'll see it and they'll be like, wow, I had no clue. That, that judgment for the believer, we tend to think, he's going to tell me everything I did wrong. He's going to show me all the mistakes I made. It's, it's going to show you what you did wrong, but man, it's going to show you what you did right too. Your works will be passed through the fire and whatever is gold, silver, bronze will remain. Whatever is hay, stubble, wood will burn away. But there will be both for the believer. And have heart, hope, and comfort that what you're doing today can have eternal significance. And I pray that this has some type of eternal significance for you. And so I'm going to leave it, guys. Thank you so much for watching, listening. Thank you for supporting Self-Evident. We are going to be at the homeschool convention in Cincinnati, Ohio next weekend. If uh, you're anywhere around the U.S. and you know, I just want to travel next weekend, come on out to the homeschool convention. If you're in Ohio, be sure to stop by. Come say hi. Come uh, shake a hand, get a prayer. Uh, we want to see you. We want to know your testimony. So until next weekend, guys, I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening, paying attention. Please share. Please give exposure to this stuff because it does matter. If you're on SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever, any podcast listening device, check us out on the YouTubes, the Rumbles, the BitChutes. Interact so that way we have we have some type of exposure. Croft, any major comments before we leave? We're good. All right, guys, I love you. Have a great day. See you next week.